Hello and welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast number 236. Um, joining me in my broken heart this morning is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Good morning. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it it may get a little poetic um, here on this, on this episode reflecting, but I'm uh, literally sitting here uh, recording with my blinds opening open watching the sunrise. So ah, I just mm-hmm. want to throw that out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, almost like symbolic of you and your entire community pushing back against the oppressors who've been holding you down um, in response to the inspirational words of a, a valued community member um, recently gone, that sort of thing. You know, I think um, like the biggest uh, takeaway for me is, you know, uh... and I think that is uh, that is a that is a theme for uh, for this this. I wonder why we don't have more listeners to this podcast, you know, like we, we open our hand or episode 12 um, review or whatever we call it with like, uh, hey, we're hanging out this morning with our coffee. We're quoting Hemingway. Like, come on in. Let's talk Star Wars. You know, that's us. But it's beautiful, Ryan. It was a beautiful thing that you said about Hemingway. You know, I usually I, I, I tend to quote um, Fitzgerald. You know what I mean? So stay tuned, listeners. I might quote some Gatsby. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. or the beautiful and the damned or something. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, yeah. If this is your first time listening, I guess, uh, <laughs> that would be our dynamic. Um, you would, you would be the, the Fitzgerald to my Hemingway. Is that our, is that our podcast vibe? I'm not sure. I feel like that's a low key. There's a, there's a shot being fired that I'm not, um, maybe aware of when, when you say that, you know what I mean? Hemingway like you 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 Ryan are you all right let's talk about Andor because actually legitimately like I enjoyed your Hemingway quote but now I've taken us down a road I don't think we should go down let's talk about Andor um before we'll we get to the, the three listeners minute mark. to unpack all right okay let's let's talk about Andor um so uh it is Wednesday morning the day before Thanksgiving here in the U.S. and the Andor finale just aired Um, I guess six or eight hours ago, but I was asleep. So I woke up this morning and I watched it and I knew that it would be, um, incredible. And I, and I was really looking forward to it. Um, also very upset that the show was coming to an end for the next year and a half or two years, however long it'll be. So that's pretty brutal because it's been great to have and or to look forward to on these Wednesday mornings. But, uh, needless to say, this episode will just be us giving our initial thoughts on this and/or finale. Um, I loved it, Ryan. You loved it. I loved it. I'm like beyond just like, hey, that was some Star Wars I really liked. I was like, legitimately, just as like a piece of media, I was blown away. Like, I think there's going to be things that like keep bubbling to the surface over, you know, the course of this episode, the next like few weeks and stuff. But um, just, you know, my immediate reaction is just, it was just unbelievably incredible. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think we should talk about the characters because it is a an episode that brought all of the characters or, you know, most of the important characters from the show together on Ferrix for Marva's funeral and um, brought all those pieces, you know, sort of to use the cliche or whatever, all the pieces on the chessboard in this show, like all together in one place. Um, so I think a natural way to talk about this episode that we've only watched once and I didn't take notes on cause I didn't want to ruin my experience watching the I show, scribbling down notes and stuff. So I just watched yeah. it. Um, so anyway, I think a natural way to talk about this episode for us having viewed it one time is just to, you know, kind of talk about all those characters and sort of where they ended up and, and where they're headed and things like that. But I think the heart and the centerpiece and the, you know, the, the, the fulcrum of this episode I don't know. Is that how you use that word? Maybe not. But anyway, I think the heart of this episode is uh, Marva's, you know, sort of funeral speech. You know what I mean? That's that. That's really like I got to that because I was watching the episode and I was like, this is really good. I'm, I'm, you know, it was it was tense. It was it was compelling. I wanted to know what was happening, you know, with all the characters, whatever. But I got to that funeral scene and just the just the 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 community members of Ferrex marching down the road you know that alone was super powerful but then as soon as i saw that hologram turn on from b2 i was like oh my god like this is it this is like i know this is gonna be incredible television so anyway to me that's like the heart of the episode that's what everything else kind of circles around and so i think maybe we can open by talking about that i found it uh incredibly powerful and um just so well written uh, it really moved me and um, I felt like it was the perfect, such a simple thing, but such a perfect thing for this entire season to be building up to um, and for that to be the sort of climactic event of this season. So how did it find you this morning, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I mean, like we had we had made our uh, Marva predictions Um couple episodes ago and we thought like you know she was going to be this like you know she was going to spark change um she was going to inspire people and then you know then in the last episode you know that that episode um begins with just like her like unceremonious death and then you know (laughs) last week we were like well i guess that's not what happened but it is what happened (laughs) and it just, it just happened in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, but it, yeah, it was just, it was such a, I think like, this is something that I'm going to keep coming back to, um, when talking about this episode, but it was just a really strong logical payoff and emotional payoff as well. Yeah. Yeah, and brilliant to because we talked about it quite a bit in last week's episode or the most recent episode, 235. We talked quite a bit about the fact that it was like this bittersweet thing where, you know, we didn't know the last time we saw her, it would be the last time we saw her. We didn't see her die. We didn't see get to say goodbye to her really in a way that we expected as an audience, neither did Cassian. Um, and so, you know, going into this finale, I was obviously sort of, I just expected, I'm, I'm, we're not going to see any more Marva, you know? Um, and for her to come back and, and be able to speak and have such a powerful presence in this episode after the show sort of convinced us that she wouldn't, I think that was just a, 
a brilliant, you know, um, call on the part of the show yeah. to, to sort of put that whole, put that character to bed, um, in the eyes of the audience. And then, you know, her, her return is that much more powerful. Yep. So, and, um, and we, we get her return in, in two ways. Like we get like the, the hologram part, but then mm-hmm. we also get, um, that more personal, um, relaying of her message to Cassian. Um, yeah. From Brasso when Brasso yes. meets up with him in the, in the, in the sewer or whatever. Yeah. And we all know his name is Brasso now, which we, uh, really struggled with last week. Well, um, we did, but I do want to give myself, uh, my flowers here because I said, I think his name is Brasso. I think it's Brasso. Uh, I know that cause I had to edit the podcast afterwards and listen to myself say that. So, um, I did know it, but I didn't know that I knew it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, f- in my defense, I said his name was Brian, uh, yeah. which I got the first part right. But I think I was thinking about the the other dude with the normie name who died. And I think his name was like Tim. Oh, yeah. Tim. Tim Carlo. That's Tim. the name of Bixley's yeah. boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. Tim Carlo. Yeah. 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 That's what I was... Um, that's where i think i got my wires crossed well ryan if i if i dare suggest it i think maybe um uh brian would be a hemingway-esque name for the character whereas brasso is a little more fitzgerald you know what i mean so (laughs) yeah i don't know if it's that or not but anyway um yeah so that was a we should let's talk about both of those moments and i love brasso i think everybody loves brasso right we all love him and now we know his name especially after this episode yeah, he was like, great. He was. Gr- oh my god! Like, well, I loved him. Powerful. I loved him most when he agreed to have a sleepover with B two last week. That's when I loved him the most. But um, when he hit a stormtrooper or imperial soldier in the head with Marva's brick today, oh, my that's god. the second time I loved him the most. <laughs> so, um, man, oof, yeah. No, he no, he was great. But um, that conversation. Let's just, I guess, you know, we'll talk about both the conversation in the in the sewer. Um, with Cassian and the funeral, because that's, as you said, those are the two spots where Marva's really present in the episode. So yeah, Cassian meets up with, with Brasso down there and, you know, he tells her, he relays, you know, what she wanted to say to Cassian and I don't have it all, you know, committed to memory, but it was very beautifully written. I came together. She told me. I couldn't get back. You shouldn't be here now, Cass. Last time I saw her, we argued. Done. I told her I was coming back. Stop. I never should have left that morning. Stop. She told me you'd say all this. Tell him none of this is his fault. It was already burning. He's just the first spark of the fire. Tell him he knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. When the day comes that those two pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good. Tell him. I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. And essentially, you know, she wanted to tell him that, you know, she knew he would blame himself. It's not his fault he did what he had to do. Um, and that, 
Well, and, and Kevin, we were texting with Kevin this morning, our friend Kevin, and he he pointed to this line, but it was really moving. Um, she wanted him to know that she loves him more than anything he could have done wrong or anything he ever did wrong or could do wrong. Whoa, 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 whoa. What a great line. What a beautiful line. And then also, um, and I forget exactly what the two uh, lines were, but this was maybe even better um, in, in, in some incredible writing. It was, uh, you know, he knows everything he knows he needs to know, and he has all of the tools or all of the, I, can't, I forget exactly how it was phrased, but basically like he as a person is everything he needs to be, and he knows everything he needs to know. And when those things come together, he's going to be a powerful force for good. Um, Man, what a beautiful thing! Because it, here he is in that in that you know sewer or whatever, telling Brasso like I I wanted her to come with me. I'm not an awful son. I didn't abandon my mom. You know, is essentially what he's saying, right? Like I wanted to take care of her. Brasso's like I know she told me that she knew that you know, but he's down there blaming himself, and so for her to say like not only oh, and there was a line in there, Ryan. I don't know if it's Hemingway or Fitzgerald, but there was a line in there where uh, she said that he's the spark. He's like the spark that's going to light that fire or whatever it is. So um, I I don't know if Tony Gilroy, who wrote this script, was intentionally echoing um, Poe Dameron and um, Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, but uh, it certainly, you know, felt the same, right? So anyway, all of those great lines and all of it, a mother, a, a mother who knows she's dying, you know, passing on this idea to her son, like that it's okay. And, you know, she believes in him and she thinks he's a good person because some of the conversations we saw between them were, were more along the lines of, you know, her being like, maybe not telling Cassian he was a screw up, but Cassian feeling a little bit like a screw up. And there was, you know, between the lines, there was the, the indication that, you know, both of them maybe felt like this dude was, spending his twenties drinking and sleeping around and not really being like super productive or, you know, that he could be probably a better person. Um, and so even then you had the, the feeling that she knew that he could be and believed that he would be. Um, and then I, I feel like this, these final words to him reinforce that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, I don't, I don't really have much to add except the, the delivery, um, during this part was, so strong and so wonderful um i just really loved um how you know he's when he like you mentioned he starts like immediately getting on like the defensive um to brasso like because he obviously feels so much guilt um and this is this is the first time where we get to see him just like release that, that guilt and emotion that he's been feeling like, um, you know, I thought um, we talked about last week, how in, in that episode, like when he, when he gets the news and finds out that Marva's passed, like he just, he just internalizes all of it. And then in this moment, like he's finally able to just let it out and, you know, and he's he's just I, I wouldn't say like he's making excuses or rationalizing, but he's just telling like his perspective. And it's like 
obviously very sincere. And then Brasso's just like, okay, just stop. She said you were going to say all this stuff. She knew you were going to say this. So anyways, here's how she felt. Like, just shut up and listen. Like, that that whole thing was just, it was so, so, so beautiful and uh, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then I thought, you know, obviously, like, sort of moving to her speech at her own funeral. Um, that was great too, because, you know, it opens with her, if I'm remembering correctly, sort of talking about being a little girl and talking about the, the tradition and the cultural significance of these, you know, sort of funerals and, um, attending many of them, et cetera. Uh, and, she's kind of slowly making her way towards what I expected she was making her way towards, you know, but there's this tension, you know, there's this tense feeling because like the, the uh, framing and composition of the shots and whatever is like, you know, you've got the Imperials on one side, you've got the community of Ferrix on the other side, they've come to a head, right? Like the, the Imperials are waiting at the end of Rick's road and these uh, Ferrix community members uh, are, are marching, you know, um, coming towards like the, the, it's coming to a head, you know? And by the time that B2 is there and projecting Marva, um, those two sides are facing one another, you know, like it's all come down to this. And yeah, you had the idea as an audience member, you sort of knew that this tension was brewing, coming to a head and that something explosive was going to happen. Right. So as she's talking about, um, you know, the importance of, of the sort of tradition on Ferrix and the funeral process and all of that. She's like slowly starting to talk more about the community of Ferrix, what they mean to each other, and then eventually how there is something festering in the center of the galaxy. And I'm like, oh, she's going to do it. She's going to do it. She's going to tell these people to rise up. They were ready to do it anyway. Old Sport had the bomb ready to go, right? Like he, they were going to do it no matter what, but like she's telling them, inspiring them to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, when we got to fight these bastards, you know, something along those lines is what she says towards the end. Um, and then I love the, how ineffective it was for that one sort of Imperial leader to go put his coat over B2 to try to stop the projection, which, doesn't stop the audio and only half covered Marva anyway. And it was like such an, such a, an ineffectual attempt to silence, um, the community. So every time it happened, every time the dead lifted me. Uh, with their truth. And now I'm dead. I yearn to lift you, not because I want to shine or even be remembered, it's because I want you to go on. I want Ferrix to continue. In my waning hours, that's what comforts me most. But I fear for you. We've been sleeping. We've had each other and Ferrix, our work, days we had each other and they left us alone we kept the trade lanes open and they left us alone 
We took their money and ignored them. We kept their engines churning, and the moment they pulled away, we forgot them. Because we had each other. We had Ferrics. But we were sleeping. I've been sleeping. I've been turning away from a truth I wanted not to face. There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into everything, into everything around us. We let it grow, and now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we sleep. It's easy for the dead to tell you to fight. And maybe it's true, maybe fighting's useless. Perhaps it's too late. But I'll tell you this. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the best scenes of the series, which is chock full of incredible scenes, you know, um, each episode. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the build was incredible. And I mean, this started building, uh, even, you know, like even before the speech started, um, we started seeing the again, using like the chess metaphor, like started seeing the pieces moving. Um, And, you know, we knew there was this like plan in place for them to start the procession at a certain time. And then they, um, the people did uh, not follow that expectation. (laughs) Um, And they, you know, um, It's it's funny because it kind of goes back to that. Um, I think what was the first piece of footage we saw from the show, which was the dude um, with the gong in the tower. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I remember like going back and like thinking about that now and, you know, watching that in May and being like, what's the deal with this dude in the tower with the gong? <laughs> like what's what's happening here? Um and then, like, seeing just how significant that is now, like, knowing what we know about this community. Um, and so, like, the the gong starts, and that's when everyone just starts moving. And, um, you know, the the Imperials are like, wait, what's, hap- what's happening? And it just starts, like, slowly slowly escalating and the the way that music is used here um is just it's so incredible um like because you just 
you start with, you know, just a, a few of the instruments and then, you know, they keep adding instruments in and, you know, it gets, the sound gets fuller. Um, and then you also see like the movement of the people and that continues to build and escalate. Um, and then, you know, it, it eventually, like you said, kind of comes to a head. They're, they're um, faked off and the, this, the speech starts. And then that, um, it, it kind of deescalates for a, a bit because, you know, the, the speech is like very innocuous at first. And then it starts to kind of like thread in those, those messages um, of rebellion. And then, you know, by the end, she's like just yelling, fight the empire. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, um, then we actually see like the, the violence erupt. Yeah. Yeah, and there was there was just little great little lines like um, you know maybe it's easy for the dead I forget exactly how she phrased it but maybe it's easy for for the dead to say to fight you know or you might think it's easy for the dead to say fight and maybe it is but you know still we got to take on these bastards or whatever um, I did think too like it was I guess like um, what are they going to do but they told you know the the people of ferrix like okay you can do this at three o'clock or whatever the time was right and they start doing it two hours early and if i'm the imperials at that point you have to be thinking like okay now what's going on like what is this right like this is but it's such a simple thing and it's such a powerful thing that this community you know they didn't immediately start throwing rocks through the window or throwing pipe bombs or whatever they just marched when they wanted to march you know they just didn't follow that 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 edict from from the empire they just marched when they wanted to march and um you know i just think that's like such a it's almost i I, like if i try to put myself in the shoes of the imperials i feel like that would be such a frightening thing you know like we said this time and they're doing it at another time like something small like that that just says no we're defying you you know um because and and obviously it does eventually lead to stormtroopers just opening fire on on the 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 people of ferrix but you know you really can't do that i mean you could but it it would it's not what they would do it's not how they would respond to them marching two hours early so how do you respond to a simple act of defiance like that you know when it's when it's communal when it's everybody um you you know if you if you go too far then you create obviously a much larger and much more dangerous situation than you want to right but uh, so yeah, I just think it was a brilliant, like, strategic move on the part of the people of Ferex to be told a time to march and to march at whatever time they wanted, and um, that was like the little spark or the the beginning of obviously this this powerful thing. Yeah, and I think it was just the Imperials were so caught off guard by mm-hmm. it, then um, you know, because they just they had this all planned out. And, you know, that's, um, like the nature of like an authoritarian regime is like, you just, you, everyone just does the thing that we tell them to do when we tell them to do it. And they don't really have contingency plans. 
because it's like one of the like the big themes of the show um, that we've seen from the very beginning is like they are just so confident in their power that they don't they they aren't expecting rebellion and they're not taking it seriously um yeah and yeah and i think that was the situation and there wasn't someone there to and like you know the most of the imperials there were just like lackeys they're just people following orders and there was no one there to give them orders so they're just kind of like standing around like not knowing what to do and there's like this hierarchy of people who give the orders and the the leadership failed in this situation and so they were just kind of left uh you know flailing in a way yeah. And then then they, you know, and then when, like, they didn't know what they should be doing. And so, like, they were, you know, losing confidence. And then uh, that's when, you know, rash acts start to happen. Yeah. Did you feel, so the action that follows, you know, the, the rash acts that start to happen, um, the, well, uh, I, actually, let me let me um pull back and try to remember the first what was the first sort of act of aggression on the part of Ferrix or the stormtrooper like i'm trying to remember how it all kicked off do you remember how it kicked off was when the dude covered up b2 with the and, and knocked him over Oh my yeah. god i was like oh dude no you you know you know you did not you cannot do that yeah and then too I think, oh hell no um i think it was was it brasso who kind of like stepped up and like got in the dude's face and then then there Did was he kick uh, him kick him down or something then maybe? there was like i don't know who threw the first like punch or kick or shove okay. or okay. whatever but it that moment yeah and uh yeah i think that the early moments of that sort of battle between the people of ferrix and the empire um it was about you know, emphasizing the fact that the community was rising up, obviously. And, and I feel like that's what those shots sort of communicated early on. But from there, it really did descend into chaos, right? It was just like, I, I feel like if anything, it, it communicated the feeling of the empire a lot of times of just like, <clears throat> this is out of control. We're losing control. It's chaotic. There's, you know, we're just sort of randomly attacking um, and there were great shots of like the, the, the guy that Cassian talked to on the phone the week before and said the, the guy that told him that Marva was dead, yeah. you know, that guy just like jumped on the back of a stormtrooper and was like trying to choke him out. Um, unfortunately he was shot and killed, but there, there were plenty of, you know, moments too, that, that, that featured, you know, Ferrix community members attacking as well. But I feel like a lot of it, a lot of that sequence was really just, meant to communicate the chaos and the loss of control that um, the empire was feeling and uh, dealing with there. Yeah. And I think something that um, like probably should be mentioned, it's something that like I was certainly like in the back of my head is just in like, we're in this era of, um, you know, filmed protests um, and, how they can escalate and you know we 
like we see this um in you know in other footage from like other countries um and then you know we've seen it a lot more here um in the united states of like the imagery of like police with you know in in lines with like their their riot shields and um and all of that and then you know and then when things do kind of descend in into chaos and the the smoke and the the pushing and some people are just like scrambling trying to get away and then like suddenly police are like opening fire on people who you know were just um were just there as like part of this this thing and aren't even like being violent and um like i think that imagery is um you know just it's a way that like Star Wars is kind of like reflecting our world back to us in like a more fantastical setting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, even just in the in the the sense that you have a an authoritarian or just like a um, a source of power, you know, that uh, a source of power that's losing control and and the in the way that it. it uh, it attempts to uh, hold on to that. Um, yeah. Anyway, absolutely. I uh, I was feeling those kind of real world analogs watching watching that sequence for sure. But I mean, it's also why it's so powerful. You know, this this kind of repeated idea in Star Wars of people coming together and uh, and uh, and pushing back and overcoming oppression. You know, um, that's certainly a, a universal thing and. Um, an inspiring thing. So, um, but it's a more of a boots on the ground or sort of like man on the street kind of, you know, expression of that idea versus a whole squadron of X-Wings, you know, kind of going into the trenches of the Death Star or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, scenes like this, I think just like, again, in our like kind of modern political climate, like it's uh, in, (laughs) it these it kind of just like makes me anxious in a way um because i think we have this um scenario now with just like these different like moments in time where uh like who who is actually the um like who is actually rebelling and who is like the oppressor. Um, Mm. I think where people, you know, are really in our society are kind of always painting themselves to be the, uh, um, the, the just uh, rebel um, and the hero of this. And, you know, cause you can like look at, um, police just like wailing on people during like black lives matter protests um, on one hand, but then you can also look at people, um, you know, storming the Capitol on January 6th Mm -hmm. and just the, the, um, I don't know the complexities of, of all of that. And so, in, in like 
it just it kind of it makes it like hard to identify <laughs> with these things in like the way I probably would have like when I was like a teenager and I felt like, you know, definitely, you know, I things just seemed like ideas of rebellion seemed so much clearer. And like this idea that like, oh, like the rebels are always the good guys. Um, yeah. But then like we, you know, in the past few years have seen people be, you know, being like, I'm oppressed because I need to wear a mask so I don't get people sick. Like <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff for sure. Um, also powerful, Ryan, and, and this kind of was earlier in the episode, but we haven't talked about it, is Cassian, when he first returns to Ferrix, um, makes a point to go to the place where um, his father's stone is. Um, and we talked, you know, obviously before, and it's uh, mentioned or not mentioned, it's featured in this episode, the the, the Ferrix tradition of mixing um, someone's ashes with a brick. And then, you know, it's, it's called being bricked or bricking them. And then, and then uh, including that brick in a wall and uh, Cassian, when he first arrives at Ferrix, he stops at Clem, his father, Clem uh, Andor's brick and and touches it and um, kind of runs his his hand along the the letters. I don't know what it says if it's his name or if it's some kind of you know phrase or whatever, but um, it has that moment with um, with Clem's brick and there's a, a memory there and he or Cassian has a memory there and remembers being with his father and his father showing him how to fix things and and sort of renew things, renew parts that other people would throw away and um, and return them to their former glory. So a little symbolism there as well. But I thought it was a um, in this episode that features Marva and her impact on this entire, you know, community and on Cassian and yeah, well, on both of them, right? On, on Cassian on a personal level, an individual level, but then on this whole community as well to have a moment where um, Clem's impact on Cassian is acknowledged is uh what was a was a nice touch for sure yeah absolutely that was um you know he's a character i haven't really thought about um Mm. for you know since kind of like the beginning of the series like in the flashbacks and so that was like that was just this was a really nice time to reintroduce that character and have um you know him be part of the the many things happening to to Andor that lead to his decision at the end of the episode um because i i think it is like this culmination of of things in these like Cassian's life experiences um especially recently and then also like these um parental figures and community figures who have like impacted him and that he cares deeply about. And so I think that was like another, um, you know, just really nice um, inclusion here. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I did, I, I know I already mentioned it, but I did want to touch on the fact that Marva's brick, uh, although we don't see it being placed in a wall and who knows if it ever ends up placed in a wall um, at this point, uh, we don't see that happen, but we do see Brasso sort of actually striking an Imperial with that brick, yes. uh, which I thought was a great way to, you know, have her be present and, 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 and part of that battle, right? Cause she obviously inspired the whole thing and has inspired so many people there on Ferrix. So for her to, for her brick to actually get a blow in against <laughs> uh-huh. Imperials, I thought was awesome, right? That was like a fist pumping moment as yeah, weird as that might it's, sound. It's what she would have wanted. Right. Like right, 100% right. and just brilliant stuff. I, I, I love that as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about some other things besides the funeral and the battle that follows. Um, let's talk about Val and Cinta who we see together again in this episode. Um, we didn't, I, yeah, I wouldn't say I was disappointed, but we didn't get that much with Val. Like we saw some, some, some good moments like relationship building moments, or I don't know if building is the right word because the relationship doesn't seem fantastic, but some great relationship moments with Val and Cinta. But I really was, you know, curious to see, like, what is Val going to decide? Like, is she going to want to kill Cassian? Um, is she going to be willing to do that? And that conflict was not addressed. Um, obviously, it was addressed on a different level with Luthen and, and Cassian at the end of the episode. But we didn't get to see sort of where Val would land with all of that. Because, you know, part of me thinks like she's actually part of me. No, she's not happy um, about a lot of things as far as this mission goes and, and her place in it. Yeah, um, it was, I mean, yeah, we didn't get much of her and Cinta, but um, what we did get was really, um, I I would say, really strong character development for Cinta, or maybe not development, because this is Mm. who we kind of knew she was, um, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of getting, like, stamped in here, like her... Um, intense focus on, you know, the the mission and what's happening, um, and uh, her her place and role and everything. Um, and then we also see her uh, kill a dude, um, yeah, as, as well, um, and like stick a sticking a knife. Um, between the ribs and yep. um yeah and then there's like that you know there's that line um with them where um that was like the, are you okay you're there's you're got blood on you and mm-hmm. like, well it's not mine yeah and then yeah um yeah just really good stuff but um yeah we didn't get like a ton with characters but obviously um we got some more complexity in their relationship which um you know that you know that just means that they're going to you know continue that thread um in the next season so like um well we will get more um eventually so I don't know if this is too harsh or not, but I feel like the conclusion that I kind of came to after watching this episode is that Vale is somebody who um, is very driven like by 
her relationship and her, you know, personal feelings uh, towards Cinta. And that's kind of, I don't want to say it's like more important to her than the rebellion, but it's, it's as important maybe, you know, and she is somebody who's very driven by the personal. And I feel like Cinta at this point seems like she likes, likes isn't the right word that the relationship for her is about, you know, um, having some comfort or, you know, some, (laughs) I don't know, um, something to ease like stress or whatever, but like, it's not front of mind. You know what I mean? It's not like a, it's not a driving thing for her. And, you know, it didn't have to be said, but Vale showing up and Cinta barely looking at her and Cinta only wanting to talk about the mission and all of that, you know, is just so clear to me and very, I think heartbreaking for Vale too. Like I felt so bad for her because it really just felt like, you know, I've been dying to see you again. And, you know, you're like, oh, cool, you're here. You know, like it just, um, yeah, I feel like they don't value the relationship in, in the same way, like at all whatsoever. You know, for Cinta, it's an auxiliary thing. It's a, it's one of, you know, maybe numerous things that are things that are, are part of her life or things that maybe are are enjoyable or positive parts of her life, but not at all a driving factor. And then I think for Vale, it's the opposite. Like, you know, almost you think of Obi-Wan talking to Satine, right? Like I would have left the Jedi order for you. I would have let it all go for you. You know, I feel like that's like where Vale is. And I feel like for Cinta, it's like not that whatsoever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, like relationships are rarely 50, 50, um, mm-hmm. in, in people's investments. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's almost an impossible, uh, percentage to, to land on. Um, and I think like this is, you know, this is indicated, um, I, it's indi- indicative of their upbringings and the difference between, who they are now that we know um, like Val's uh, upbringing and her, um, you know, coming from like wealth and prosperity and, you know, having um, a lot of comforts and privileges um, in her life. She has probably had more time to reflect on <laughs> things like love and (laughs) that sort of thing. Mm. Um, And to like pine. Um, Whereas like Cinta has lived her, at least her adult life uh, in the trenches. And, um, you know, that's, that leads to very different, um, approaches and priorities i think Um, yeah and i don't i don't think that necessarily like means that like oh vel is you know obsessed and immature or cinta is just like cold um i think it it is just a reflection of uh, the lives that they've led and the you know the difference between that yeah, but I think it means it's a relationship that's not going to work. You know what I mean? And if, uh, 
Yeah, so I just feel really bad for Vale because I think, you know, she's so invested and Cinta is not. And I don't know if that's going to work out. I think I don't think that's a healthy thing for Vale or that Vale can ever be happy in that situation. Um, maybe season two things will change and Cinta will recalibrate her, you know, sort of like commitment to the relationship or kind of what it means in her life. But, uh, I don't know. Um, we'll see. I, I really don't know where that's headed. Although I'm, I'm certainly intrigued to find out. You know, hey, one thing I want to say, Ryan. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if necessarily like Cinta needs to change um, who, who she is, um, because I do think like her approach is um, just that's just that is just who she is, and like her mm-hmm. her experiences. Um, have formed that but i think you know i i think they can find an understanding um but well the the, i mean it's but it's gonna be it's going to be complicated and um this like all relationships um take uh take work and compromise so yeah but you know i i hear you i hear you i hear you for sure I just think if Sin- if uh, Vale was my friend, um, I think I would tell her that she should be in a relationship with somebody else. Um, and it doesn't mean Cinta has to change, right? Like, you're right. Of course, Cinta doesn't have to become a different person, but maybe they need to say to each other, like, or recognize, like, we probably shouldn't be in a relationship with each other. I just feel like Vale, if Vale stays in that relationship and compromises, it would be such a huge compromise to stay in a relationship with somebody long-term who like sort of cares about the relationship and you are like so invested in the relationship, you know, like I'm not saying that makes Cinta a bad person or that she has to change. But I think like if Val was my friend, I would be like, you should find someone who wants to be with you as much as you want to be with them, not spend years of your life feeling bad because you know that you care so much more about the relationship you're in than the other person does. You know, that just seems sad to me. Like, and I don't think it's wrong on Cinta's part, but I think it is a sign of incompatibility. And to me, it seems like something where if the, if that just stays the, the way it is, then Val's going to be really unhappy for a long time, you know, um, which I don't know. Uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. And uh, <laughs> yeah. logic uh, does not always dictate those decisions. So all right. All right, all right. I think I think they've done a really good job of like painting this complex relationship. Yeah. In yeah. a way that we haven't really seen in Star Wars before. Um, right. I think we I mean, obviously, we saw it with Ray and Ben, particularly in The Last Jedi. Um but that was so elevated mm. and like so big. Um, but there, and there was nuance there for sure. Um, but not, not on this level, which just like you, like you were just talking, like <laughs> this is the advice I would give her as my friend. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not really like the conversations we were having about, you know, Raylo stuff, you know? Um, back in the day like it 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 felt like so just you know on a different a different level than like normal human relationships like because they're like you know touching hands through the force and things like that um but this is so grounded and so like 
real feeling. Um, yeah. So regardless of how it shakes out, like it is just, again, it's like something we hadn't seen really in Star Wars before, like this on um, this like intricate of a level. Another couple that has a very intricate and uh, complex relationship <laughs> are Mon Mothma and uh, Perrin. Huh? And uh-huh. um, we didn't get a lot from Mothma in this episode. I, I you know, I kind of thought that might be the case because she really doesn't have a place in the Ferrix, you know, scenario. But uh, we got one we got, awkward. We got what we needed. <laughs> we got an awkward speeder ride with her and Perrin, Brilliant. and then we we got the answer to the question about. Um, Davos and uh, his his fourteen year old son or whatever, but I want to I want to say Ryan, I think I think we as an audience are supposed to believe that Perrin is telling the truth about the gambling thing and that someone is lying to Mon Mothma about him gambling. Did you interpret it that way? <laughs> I felt uh-huh. sympathy for Perrin in this episode. Like I actually was like, wait, I think he's telling the truth to his wife in this moment. And as much as he came off and as, I mean, as much as he is a shitty dude, I think in a lot of ways, again, complex and nuanced as you were just talking about, I think in this episode, we're supposed to be like, he's being framed or accused of something that he's not guilty of in the moment. And he's actually telling the truth, but like, because of the way she, you know, because of the the paranoid life she has to live and because he's probably been shitty a lot of times throughout their whole life, <laughs> she doesn't believe him. Okay, that's not how I read that scene at all. Okay, okay, okay. How did you read it? <laughs> um, I read it as her being incredibly savvy and knowing that her limo driver is like, bugged and or like an informant for the empire Mm -hmm. and so she was using this as a way to explain that makes yeah that makes a lot of sense okay that that makes a lot of sense i'm gonna delete the part where i didn't know that from the (laughs) episode no Um, i think that's 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 good though because like i i do think there but and then there's like the like i see what she's doing um, which is brilliant. And that, but then also like, there is the question of like, wait, so is Perrin actually doing this or is he, is he not? Um, no, see, and- I, I think the performance was so from the actor. It was so like every single thing about it to me was like, he's telling the truth. Um, but yeah, that all makes perfect sense if you consider that it's actually Mothma who is, you know, pulling a fast one over the limo driver and just using like her 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 husband as a as a means of doing that. That makes total sense. Yeah, um, but it does also like give us more insight into his character because, like, we know like Davo says, like, "Oh yeah, I've seen your husband around and mm. um, stuff like that." And, um, so we know like <laughs> what, what, and we get the Canto bite shout out. Yes. Also. Yeah. I got the Canto bite shout out. Love yeah. that. Um, but, uh, and, and also just the, the st- intense strain in their relationship where she's like, just go, you can go do all that stuff, whatever, mm-hmm. This whatever is. you need to do that was a pregnant yes, line right there yeah but like mm-hmm. don't do it here on coruscant where like 
I work. Yeah. Um, basically, like that was. Yeah, I mean, it almost like. It, yeah, but my guy parents like I'm not. I'm not, man. I'm not. You know, and I felt bad for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but also, again, like he, I think he's someone I could see being like a very convincing liar as well. I know, but I really didn't. I, yeah, I don't think so. I don't, th- I mean, yeah. yes, but I don't think so in this scene. And, um, we got to keep moving cause, uh, it, it peel back, pull back the curtain. Like I'm having terrible internet issues this morning and it's been a fight to get this episode recorded. Um, sort of, uh, we're the people of Ferrix and the internet here at my house is the empire on Ferrix. But anyway, um, it's definitely Tony, Comcast. <laughs> I, I think actually, can, there's, no, I there's think a it's a lot of simil- similarities. Uh, no, I want to blame Amazon because my routers are from Eero, which is a company Amazon bought. Um, and uh, I hate Amazon more than Comcast. And I my wired speeds are, I believe, holding strong. And it's my Wi-Fi speeds that are not. Oh, interesting. But wow. yeah, so I'm going to give uh, Comcast the, um, the benefit of the doubt here. But anyway, uh, Tony Gilroy has been saying in interviews, um, talking about Andor, and I think this is fantastic. Um, a fantastic perspective from a creator. He's been saying all along that you have to have empathy as a writer. You have to have empathy for every character. Yes. Um, you need to be able to empathize or understand their position and you need to, you know, you need to know where and feel like, you know, where they're coming from, et cetera. And I think I saw that in Perrin today, you know, in this episode, he wasn't written as just a two dimensional, you know, bunghole husband like (laughs) whatever there was way more going on there um and i think that's that's necessary you know for a show of this quality and uh a show that's trying to do the things that this kind of show is is trying to do you know yes yep um no i think this was also like his best performance Mm. of the series um but and it was also like (laughs) It was just one of those um, one of those conversations, which there are many of um, in this show that are just so dense with like uh, information about the characters, like just as you like read between the lines of like what they're actually um, saying. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like the the Empire got played because we see that uh limo driver going and like talking to the the isb dude and being like yeah it seems like her husband's gambling a lot and they're they're you know in a tight spot for money because of this this gambling problem he has um and them like thinking they're so clever at having figured that out yeah but then yeah uh then there's the stuff with davo and his uh son um and Leda and yep that happens <laughs> yeah she uh she made the call i don't know there's no words exchanged it's just no. uh it's purely visual and um Leda looks happy you know um i couldn't read how perrin felt about it uh i think we know how mon mothma feels about it but um yeah i'm not sure what to make of it uh um, she she compromised her values, obviously, but she did so in service of the rebellion, and she did so uh, after realizing it's kind of what her daughter wants, anyways. You know, 
So I still think it was, well, I shouldn't say, I I don't want to say it's wrong, but it's not right either, but it is, uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's, uh, I think if, if, if like her daughter didn't want it, you know, and she, it was just pawning her off or using her, you know, a hundred percent, it would be too hard to empathize with, or it would be easier to say like, it's wrong, you know, um, or she shouldn't do it. But I mean, the show is full of people having to sacrifice everything, um, including other people like Anton Krieger and his men and whatever else, like it's, it's yeah. the show is full of people having to decide who and what to sacrifice and when, and whether, you know, a few lives here and there are worth it, um, in service of the rebellion. So it's nothing new there, nothing different there, but in, on such a personal level, is uh it's it's you know um super painful to to watch unfold but um yeah i think you know obviously like i'm sure she'll regret it forever but also kind of had to be done to a certain extent yeah this is one of those um like it's you know we we know that this is something that's where most likely going to see the repercussions of in season two. Yeah. That's, it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting. (laughs) Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, Hey, one thing I want to say, we have one more topic I think to talk about Ryan, which is Cassian and Luthan and how that whole thing wraps up, which we'll get to in a second. But one thing I want to talk about quickly, Oh, we should talk about Cyril and Deidre also. So we better keep moving. Yep. But um, one thing I want to say quickly is that I am pleasantly surprised that this show has not killed off any major characters in this final episode and that all of these fantastic actors and all of these fantastic characters are going to be returning in season two. I did not expect Cyril, Deidre, Bix, Luthen, Marva, or not Marva, I'm sorry, she, she's she's not with us, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all, all the other characters I listed, plus Vale and Cinta, you know, I didn't expect all of them to make it through this this finale. Um, it was super powerful, and it didn't have to. Uh, I don't. Not that I'm saying it would have been a cheap, you know, approach if they killed off characters for emotional impact or whatever. But I mean, it it certainly would have been an easier way to get there to a certain extent, right? So I'm just super happy that like Stellan Skarsgård and um, you know uh, all these characters are going to be back in the next season. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, uh, you know, uh, everyone kind of dodged a blaster bolt um, there. But, you know, you you say like it, it, it would have been it, not that it would have been cheap, but, you know, it would have been a, a way um, to get a to get a reaction. But to me, like all all I'm thinking is like it's it's just going to hurt more. Yeah, that's true. From now. <laughs> like, that's true. That's true. There it they'll just be able to dig the knife in deeper like yeah. in, in two years. So like th- we should have been wishing for death. <laughs> yeah. And you know, everyone says that this it's going to be two years before the show comes back, but they're filming it now. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I guess it just depends on the, the other shows when they're launching and all that, because yeah. it maybe maybe it will be two years just because of when it strategically makes the most sense to put it on Disney plus or whatever. But I don't know. I would think that they could have it ready by the end of next year. Or like if it comes out in 2024, I don't think it'll be like September of 2024. At least I hope not. You know, it certainly could be earlier than that. Um, 
but you know, I guess we'll see. I'm sure they'll shoot for probably six months or something to get the whole season done. But, um, yeah, I, I, I hope it's not two years. I bet it won't be two full years. I hope it's not Thanksgiving, 2024 before I'm, yeah. I'm watching season two, but we'll see. Um, okay. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about uh, Deidre and Cyril quickly. Um, <laughs> yep. Deidre was Deidre in this episode. She was, you know, super focused on the task at hand. She was bossing people around. She wanted, um, Cassian kept alive. She uh, wasn't happy with Partagas and the ISB, you know, choosing to just absolutely like slaughter um, Krieger and all of his men because she says a dead body doesn't really tell you anything. Right. So um, all that stuff was good. But uh, she finds herself in the thick of the <laughs> the Ferrix rebellion and she's in danger and uh her creepy um <laughs> her creepy crusader her creepy um white uh, knight yeah uh shows up and um and saves her i thought the, the the performance there um was really good like she was like couldn't couldn't catch her breath and she was so shaken up and so oh my gosh and uh and cyril was so <laughs> He was so creepy. She's like, I should probably say thank you. You don't have to thank me as I stare at you panting, like in danger. Like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. So I think like this episode for her was like this kind of culmination of like her arc where she, for the majority of the episode, she really has come into her own as a leader. And mm-hmm. you can see, like, the respect and fear that she draws from the people around her. Yeah. Um, so, like, in that way, like, she she made it. She is living her best life. This is what she wanted. She got it. Yeah. Um, and then, then you have Cyril, who, you know, wanted something similar um, in, like, a different way. Um, and he absolutely did not get it uh at all um yeah he got the opposite of it um and but then you see like her you know when she was actually in the heat of battle um how like unprepared for that she was um because again, like I think she has a very like tactical mind, and um, I think she's incredibly cunning. Um, and you know, but it was what we were talking about earlier. Like once the control is lost, like she's really good at control, but then mm-hmm. once that's lost, she just it was flailing like literally and she was like kicked to the ground and being like about to be like dragged away um by like people of ferrix who were like i i assume like either going to kill her or take her you know hostage um and then yeah then she's rescued by cyril and uh, you know and like we see like him like he kind of just shows up to this thing and mm-hmm. like he doesn't really seem to have a plan except like just just there and i think his plan i think his plan is i'm important and people are if i just get there 
people will recognize that I'm important. Deidre will recognize that I'm important or somebody in the ISB will recognize that I'm important or somebody will realize their mistake in casting Cyril Karn aside. He is important. I think that's about the extent of his plan, but I think that's what it is. Maybe, or like, I just want to go and like help. I I just want to, you know, go be Mm. a part of this. And I don't know. I think I think anytime he wants to help or be a part of something, it's about like him proving that he matters, you know? Yeah, I I, mean, I think part of that is like his redemption, like which he still believes in. um, Yeah, he can that he can earn it. But then like he also does have an obsession with uh, Deidre in in a way. And so like as soon as he spots her, like that's where his focus is. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting because you say he has an obsession in a way and it's like, yeah, is he obsessed with her because he's like in love with her or like what he thinks is love with her or whatever? Yeah. Or is it just because like, this is the thing that I've, I've glommed onto as my means of redeeming myself or my means of like, if I can prove to Deidre, if I can make her think I'm important, then I will be, you know what I mean? Or yeah. that'll be the first step to like, so yeah, because she's also like what she is, who he wants to be. Yeah, like and it, I don't know if it's like who he wants to be with or who he wants to wants to be. Um, well, I'm saying I'm saying that it, I think it is who he wants to. Well, it very well may be who he wants to be with, but you got to dig into the reason he wants to be with her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's a bad one, I think. You know. <laughs> um, it, but so when they're like face to face panting in that dark, you know, closet or whatever, looking into each other's eyes. uh, Do you think, I mean, I just feel like he, he rescued her and she's going to, I don't know. I don't know. She's like, I should, I mean, her saying I should probably say thank you. That's about the most vulnerable we've seen her as a human being, isn't it? You know? And I'm just wondering if like that action in that moment was enough to break down her, like whatever for her to be like, Oh my God, maybe I do want to, you know, maybe I do want to explore being with this guy. Like he showed up, he was there when I needed it. You know what I mean? Like, is she, is there gonna, I feel like it could blossom. And I said this a few episodes ago when uh-huh. he creeped her out in the, <laughs> stalked her at her workplace. Uh-huh. I was like, I feel like this could turn into this really unhealthy romance and I want to watch it. I want to yep. see it. And now I feel like it really, I really feel like it could um, next season. Yeah. Like that scene, it felt like, when you're watching like a really like awkward, like kind of like messed up, uh, like indie, like not quite romance film. (laughs) Um, and, uh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was really tense, really uncomfortable. Um, part of me was like, like, are they just going to kiss? Like, is that a mm. thing that's going to happen here? Um, but yeah. like, uh, yeah. Well, but, in the great Rogue One tradition, I think it's best that they didn't kiss, at least in that moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I also like, I don't know, like, I'm also here for like toxic imperial relationship. And I think it's like mm-hmm. at this point, like, like I think it's something that would be just interesting to see on screen. Um, yeah. Like I not 
I'm not going to write fanfic about it or anything because like mm. I don't actually like I like I I don't want it as just like a thing. I want it as like how do the creators of this show envision this? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what yeah. will it look like? And yeah, 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 yeah. That's it's not just like I've got to see these two beautiful people like you know make out. It's not that. It's yeah. like what the hell does this like <laughs> obscene relationship look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, yep. that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk. I'm, um, I'm getting a little low on time here and um, just keeping my fingers crossed. The, the internet will continue ticking. to function. We are, yes. we are in a ticking time bomb. So let's talk about Cassian Andor, the namesake of this show and Luthen rail and uh, the way this all shakes out. Um, I think it's, it, it you know i was impressed that cassian when he saw luthan he put the pieces together he figured it out i mean i guess you know he would it makes sense that he would um but he sees luthan there and realizes luthan is probably there to kill him uh and it it, it, it is maybe a little i mean it, this is not a problem to me whatsoever but the way that cassian is able to move about ferrix and you know see all these people and never be seen really himself and <laughs> just break into the prison and pull Bix out of it and do all this stuff uh-huh. is like, it's a little hard to believe. Um, but it's star Wars. It's okay. And you know, I'm not, it, it's not really a concern for me, but it definitely kind Andor's of, good at what he does, which yeah. is why he is such like a, a prize. I know, but like, there's so many comments of like, yes. we have to have eyes on everything all the time. And he walks right to his dad's gravestone. You know what I mean? And and then goes right to Bix's house. And, you know, I mean, like my thing was like, how did he know where Luthen's ship was? Yeah, I oh, so OK, as, a, as the episode was ending, as Luthen was riding his speeder back to his ship, I was like, dude. Cassian is going to be on that ship. Oh my yeah. God, this is going to be awesome. And my heart was racing and I was like, I love this. I think this is such a cool way to wrap up the episode. But also I was like, wait, how does he know where it is? He just, he just totally. saw Luthen in a blue robe. Again, these are things that I don't care about, but they are funny yeah. kind of questions like that. Just, yep. just like, how is he able to get away with all this? How does he find the ship? Whatever. Yeah. Um, it's- but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, but uh it was such a great moment, you know. Um, I, I, I think the fact that he, and we talked about this last week too, but I think the fact that he was like, okay, I'm going to get Bix safe. I'm going to get B2 safe. I'm going to get Brasso safe, you know, help them get on the ship, get out of here. But then once all that is taken care of, I'm going to go to Luthen and I'm going to tell him, look, and this is a similar moment to um, the end of the sixth episode, I think, when he, says to Vale, like, okay, I'm taking X amount of credits. I'm leaving all the rest to you. You know, I killed Skeen. He was a traitor. You know, if, if you don't believe me, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm only taking, I'm only taking what I was, what I was promising. That's it. I'm not lying to you. Um, I feel like him going to Luthen here at the end of this episode and being like, you can either kill me or you can make me part of this cause. Cause I am all in now. Oh, oh my God. Perfect. I love so it. Good. And the smile on Luthen's face when he yes. realizes, because he's like, "What? What is? What game are we playing? Like, what is this game?" You know, he he grabs the blaster, and Cassian lets him grab that blaster too, because it's like, okay, well, if Cassian really is here to kill Luthen, as soon as Luthen reaches for that blaster, boom, that's when Cassian takes him out, right? Yeah. So Luthen grabs for that blaster. Cassian doesn't do anything, you know, and he's like, "What is that? What game are we playing?" And Cassian, no, yeah. there's no game. We're not playing a game. Uh, brilliant. 
and 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 the the look of like joy on Luthen's face when he realizes like this guy's in he's in for the cause not only is he in for the cause but he is damn good you know yes. he pulled off Aldani he got away he's he's outsmarted me now you know what I mean I have myself and two other people on Ferrix to kill him and he evaded all of us is on my ship beat me at my own game and he wants to be a true believer and join the cause like hell yeah this is a fantastic resource yeah yeah i mean it is uh like last week we were talking about the the parallels um to to luke's journey um and this is his you know there's there's nothing for me here I mm. I want to you know go to go to Elderon and be a become a Jedi like my father like that's yep. that that was uh, that was Andor's Luke moment mm. um, in in his hero's journey which is part of the show <laughs> you know people um, there's you know if there's those um complaints like oh this doesn't even feel like star wars or like it's good but it's not really star wars um no there is like a thick ass hero's journey like plopped right in the middle of this and it's uh but i'm very good but i'm also excited too that now we know season two i mean i feel like i knew that anyways but this really confirms that season two is not going to be about him hemming and hawing Like, do I want to be in this rebellion or not? So we got a whole season of his journey from, you know, his Han Solo ask, like, I'm only in it for the money. I'm only here to, you know, for myself to true believer. Like we got that arc and season two is going to be something different, you know, and not to say that there won't be trials and tribulations or there won't be moments where he questions or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, we even see that in rogue one with Cassian to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, we see that in Luke's journey as well. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's not the hero's journey is never like this clean cut thing. Uh, but that's what this, this season was, you know, the, the, the journey from point A to point B, like how do we get him from not caring about the rebellion to being all in. And I feel like now that means season two is going to be something different. And I, I bet it'll be a little more espionage, a little more spy kind of thriller type stuff. Um, but uh, obviously I'm, you know, I'm sure it will continue to really drill down into character and be very, you know, character driven as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, but uh, there's, there's also going to be a time jump, isn't there? Mm, well, sort of, I think, I think the idea is that this season is the, is five years before rogue one and that the events of this season were that year basically. And then next season is going to be the four years leading up so i think like when it picks up there'll be time jumps within the season yeah i think it's going to cover four years instead of one year so it'll probably yeah but i think i would assume when it picks up it won't be too far after this you know what i mean um yeah but then like the thing is like this season if you know if you take that literally this season apparently covered 12 months but it didn't really feel like that you know what i mean and it it didn't really feel like necessarily aldani was months after the opening episodes or that this funeral was eight months after Aldani or, you know what I mean? I don't know how long it was, but it was, it, it, so I, I, I have a feeling it it won't be super like clean next season. Like, Oh, now we've jumped ahead of one year or two years or what, you know, it it might not feel that crazy. Like we're jumping all over the timeline or anything. I, I bet it'll just. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll be like an emotional, like in, and, quality consistency throughout um mm. that i think will keep it from feeling jarring 
um, yeah. which sometimes time jumps do. Um, but also, I mean, like, Andor was in a prison for, like, a chunk Months, of that yeah, year. Right. So. Yeah, but like, you know, Empire to Star Wars to Empire and Empire to Jedi, there's like a couple years in between each of those, you know, and it doesn't, it's not like when you watch it, you're like, oh, damn, we just jumped two or three years ahead of time. Like, you actually did, but it's just, they're just telling a story, right? So. Um, it won't be as dramatic as going from like Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones. Right, 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 right. Uh, Luthen, though, I do want to talk about Luthen for a second. I don't know if I have any super clear conclusions about Luthen here, but I do. Again, I feel a little bit like um, I think there was a lot of shots in this episode that just lingered on Luthen's face. Yep. And you could tell like the wheels in. were spinning. Uh-huh. Yeah, but he was really considering and thinking like, yeah. You know, I think when he saw Cassian, he was like, oh, man, do I want to kill this guy? And when he saw the people of Ferrix, you know, coming together as a community and all that, I think he, I think this episode and everything, you know, that kind of took place at the end of the season is, is going to force him to sort of reevaluate things. Um, for sure. I think he's going to kind of reevaluate his, his stance on a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I had talked in a previous episode about, well, maybe the show is going to kind of come down on the idea that he was wrong about Krieger, that, you know, his, his like willingness to sacrifice others is, is, is wrong. And, you know, it's going to punish him for that or whatever. Um, it certainly isn't that simple or it doesn't feel that simple right yeah. now, but I also feel like he's changing, you know, and I think he's, I don't think he's going to walk away from that like speech from Marva and seeing these people rise up together um, without being, you know, changed. And I, I, I feel like he, he's going to have to maybe believe in the community a little more or yeah, I just, I think he's, I think he's going to have a little more sympathy and a little more maybe sentimentality towards, um, people. Um, and you, you could maybe kind of see that with his, the look on his face with Cassian at the end of the episode, like the, he's happy he is happy he is full of joy that he doesn't have to kill this guy and that he's yeah i don't think it's just you know an earlier version of luthan or 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 moments with luthan earlier in the season i feel like i could read that expression and be like dude just got like he just hit the jackpot you know what i mean he just like this is a resource that he's thrilled to have um and i think there is that but i think there's also like you know some love and admiration on his face that's personal and not just about like moving a chess piece around. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'm, but I'm like you kind of mentioned earlier and like we've been kind of talking about, I am just, uh, I'm, I am personally thrilled that, um, Luthen in particular survived, um, this episode and that we will get more of this bonkers Stellan Skarsgård performance, um, in season Ryan, my eyes welled up when Cassian was talking to um, Brasso and Brasso was telling him Marva's kind of final message to him. My eyes welled up. I think I kind of choked back, uh, choked back a little, a little sob there or a tear or whatever you want to say. Um, when Marva was speaking at the funeral, likewise, um, definitely a tear or two there, you know, but the, the moment that got me the most in this entire episode, and this, I always love this when I'm watching, you know, Star Wars or whatever, you know, media that affects me emotionally. The thing that got me the most, I can't explain it. It was, um, it was when Cassian was on the ship with B2 and, and, you know, 
he's B2 said something like, you're always telling me that, you know, like he's, I need you to take care of these people. I need you to help them. I need you to make sure that sure they're safe, whatever it was Cassian told him. And B2's like, you're always telling me that. And Cassian's like, and you're always coming through or whatever it was. I, bro, I lost it. I don't know why I like that was, I think it was like, I think it was partially just like everything building throughout the entire yeah. episode or whatever. But I, I mean, that was like when the dam broke and, and I can't, that is not more, like touching or emotional or moving than what Marva said in her speech or what Marva communicated Cassian through Brasso. But that's when it hit me. And, uh, I love that little droid B2. And, um, yeah, I, I love the, to me, that was an unabashed, like pure heart, like no, no cynicism, no, uh, no attempt to be edgy or cool. No, like, Hey, this is the grown up star Wars. None of that. You know, that was just like a boy talking to his dog and the love between them, you know? And it was, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was sweet. Yeah. <laughs> well, d- different See, things hit different people in different yeah, ways. Right. I was going to say yeah. like, cause none of there weren't any like lines of dialogue or moments that like really, um, like I, I thought like Mar- Marva's speech, like all that was like powerful and like excellent. Um, but I think the part that was most stirring for me was there was um, kind of like the initial moment um, when when the music starts, um, when they when the the people start like marching, um, and you have like the the people playing like the um, initially, and then. Um, this kid with like the drum and like he hits that like drum and things like pick up like that moment like my my stomach like dropped and it yeah it just felt like super powerful and then there's a moment where like the music pauses for a a moment as they're like converging and then it like starts again like with the full soundscape and that yeah. was another one where I was like, "Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah." And there's something about like, uh, you know, we have the Andor themes and and the music of the show, the sort of non diegetic music of the show, right? But then like, you're hearing that same music, uh, or like variations on that on that music, that theme being played by the people of Ferrix. And there's just something about that, like I don't know what it is about it, but uh, that's kind of moving too. It's like. They're creating the music of their own, you know, of of the show now. You know what I mean? It's like, this is drama. This is, it's their story. And, you know, we know it's a story. And so the music being non-diegetic, it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like we know um, that's, that's just, that's part of the, the, the filmmaking side of things, right? It's not, it's not, you know, Luke Skywalker is not listening to that, right? He's not playing that music, but to hear the people of Ferrex like playing their own theme. Like that's powerful stuff. Uh, yeah. Really powerful. I, and I am ready to listen to David Collins talk for like <laughs> about, about that, just that scene. Yeah. And, and maybe like, the last comment I want to, Maybe the last comment I want to make before we wrap up here is um, my fist bump moment of the episode. My 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 I might wake my kids up moment of the episode as I was watching it six o'clock in the morning or whatever was when the, timekeeper guy the anvil or the the hammer guy on the in the bell tower who i still find that kind of like i don't really like that all that much i love the way it was used in this episode but it's like a little too weird for me like it doesn't feel like it fits all that well i know everybody loves the guy with the hammers and the gongs and all that everybody loves him 
Yeah. I mean, he's he's fine, but he doesn't feel like he belongs in this show or even oh. very Star Wars to me. Like, put him in the oh, Willow show or something. I don't know. No. But anyway, nope. <laughs> my fist bump moment of the show was when that stormtrooper was going up there to kill him, and he just kicked him. And, yep. and you see it from that officer's perspective, and you see the stormtrooper dropping out of that tower. Yeah. I was like, this rules. Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, as heavy and and thematic and deep as this episode was, it also had some of the biggest like just like sort of fun or hard on the sleeve Star Wars moments, I think, of the show so far. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Luthen on the speeder. Um, mm. <laughs> dude was getting on that speeder and uh. I that was one of the moments where I panicked um there's there were two things i was i was dreading in this i knew there was a post credit sequence um that we'll talk about in a moment um and i was dreading that um i could not let it go in the back of my mind um and then he got on that speeder and i was like oh god is this gonna look like crap like is (laughs) is this gonna look like dooku in attack of the clones like that scene that everyone like gifts and like as like a joke or is this going to look like that episode of book of boba fett with the the teens on their scooters that everyone dunks on like is this Mm. going to look bad and then like Mm -hmm. he got on it and it and drove away and it looked fine now so that was like a huge relief because i was i was like do not like do not you you can't afford to have like bad effects right now (laughs) or like uncooked of effects that people are like just going to pull out this one like five second thing and be like man this show sucks look how crappy it looks and i was like super panicked and then it like looked fine and uh, that was good yeah yeah yeah. all right let's talk about the post-credit scene because then we gotta i I gotta go um i think it was fine but i i don't like it that much but i think it was fine um you seem to like it more than me which is kind of surprising so it was because I was really expecting the worst. Um, okay. I was, I was expecting like some, um, you know, like some fan favorite character from the clone wars to show yeah. up, um, a, a glup shito. And, and, uh, or I was aff- expecting like, Oh God, is it going to be like, like deep fake Luke Skywalker? I would have ruled or teen or whatever. Hmm be whoever han like uh, yeah some like or obi-wan like some like really like gross weird um insertion there um but it wasn't um it was the the death star being built which on its own like who cares there's like millions of death stars and death star scenes and it's like overdone in star wars it was you know um well there's only two death stars but okay continue well, and then there's um, Starkiller Base, and there's like it being referenced in Attack of the Clones, like being this like big, uh, you know, this big like, hey, check this out moment in Attack of mm-hmm, the Clones. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, here, I I think it's actually effective. Um, I think it's like really good, actually, um, and thoughtful be- for a few reasons. So first of all, we're seeing. Um, I guess the obvious first part is we're seeing those pieces that they were building in the jail. Yeah, it reveals the fact that the like star. that's what the prison prisoners like, on Narkina Five like, were doing. Weird they were spoke things. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's droids like 
installing them onto the Death Star, which yeah. I think is, you know, uh, bringing, you know, showing the impact of like, you know, what they were doing for the Empire, like that um, Cassian and all these characters we knew from the prison were essentially helping build the Death Star. And I thought that part of it was um, really like creepy and effective. Yeah, so I think it's poetic that that Cassian and and the prisoners on Narkina Five were building parts of the Death Star. Um, you know, being forced to do that, being forced to build parts of the Death Star. But then that Cassian, obviously, his life's journey and and what we ultimately know he accomplishes is destroying that same Death Star, that tool of oppression. I think that's poetic. I think it's fine. Um, maybe even good that they they reveal that that's what they were working on there. But there's just something about that sequence of shots and the way it was placed at the end that to me is like, it's fine, but I, it's just, it's a little too like, Ooh, look at this big surprise kind of thing, you know? And uh, I mean, I don't want, I, I, I probably sound more negative about it than I am because it's completely fine. I, I doesn't bother me really or anything, but I just, even some of the shots themselves were a little corny. I felt like, or just trying a little too hard to be like a cool moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun, but just not 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 a highlight or anything for me of the episode um but i do i guess like what it says about cassian and the power that he has um all right this has been a nightmare to record the episode was a dream to watch it was amazing um as was the entire series um or first season of andor this episode has been a nightmare because of my internet or my tech here at blockade runner headquarters i don't know what's going on but we powered through ryan is not here anymore because it keeps dropping um so i'm just gonna wrap the show up here thanks very much for listening hopefully this isn't too painful to listen to we will be back we will be back soon with another episode of the blockade runner podcast until then you can uh, reach out to the show tell us what you think about andor or any of the topics we discussed uh, on the show today or any star wars topics by emailing the show blockade runner podcast at gmail.com you can follow the show on twitter at blockade run ryan is on twitter at via malay v-a-y-a-m-a-l-a-y i think and um yeah thanks again for listening have a happy thanksgiving to those who celebrate and we will be back soon with another episode of the blockade runner podcast <laughs>